It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with you and a very special guest who's joining us again, the Senior Director of Team and Football Analytics for the Canadian Football League, Steve Daniel. Steve, just great to have you back on the show. It's wonderful to, to be here, Don, and uh, I really enjoy talking to you about our game and uh, the things that are changing and things that don't change. Well, there's been a lot of impetus to make the game uh, a little bit more scoring heavy, if you want to call it that. Last year, we saw some movement on that. You're probably the best person to describe. Did we see much in the way of scoring increase in the CFL in 2022? 2022 is actually a really good year for us in our scoring production for a number of reasons. Uh, related to rules changes and and not having a kind of a partial previous season. But we increased, I think it was 15, 16%, up to over 50 points a game. And that really helped us a lot. Which is a huge stat increase. And when we were talking last year, you probably were gauging what kind of impact these changes would have. Would you have thought 15%-ish would be a reasonable goal? I was thinking... That if we gained, we averaged 43 points a game in 2021, which is our lowest for many, many years. And I thought if we got to 45 or 46, we'd be doing well. But to get over 50 and to kind of overtake the NFL again, I know we didn't really compete with them, but um, you like to compare yourself to all forms of football, college and otherwise. But to get over 50 was really gratifying. And, And it's our players and coaches that make that come about. That's very true. It's always the people that are down on the sideline, on the field, that provide us with all the entertainment and uh, provide us with so many memories. Uh, Grey Cup, wow. <laughs> Could it have been a better game? It was quite a season. You've got a team with as dominant as Winnipeg, and then Toronto comes along, and they play even better. And it was just such an amazing conclusion to the season that was really fun to track analytically or just as a fan uh, in general. And I'm guessing, and maybe the stats prove this out, but how many times in your life have you seen two block kicks in the last three minutes of a football game, two block field goals? Well, that's the first time I've ever seen that, but I got an awful lot of questions that day. Has this ever happened before? That's my favorite question to get. When was the last time that dot, dot, dot? And I get that. It's really fun to get that question because then you force you to go back and think about what happened before. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm very curious about, you're you're a statistician. You're trying to measure the game in terms of what's going on on the field. But when you see something like that, where first Winnipeg and then Toronto block a field goal with so much on the line, how do you check your emotions? How do you not just go and look up at and go, what is going on here? That took a lot, especially because I was raised as a BC Lions fan, and I'm from Vancouver. And so when I'm watching a Lions game, it's hard not to be a fan. And I actually coach a couple of the stat screws. We have one stat screw that tends to get a little excited, and naturally so, when their team's doing well. And you just have to teach yourself that just sit on your hands, even though you might feel really good inside when – 
Brian Burnham makes a one-handed catch in the end zone. Just got to oh, keep a straight face, but it's hard. I imagine. So is there peer review when it comes to this sort of stuff? Do you guys talk about the game and say, hey, guys, uh, when this happened, I noticed some fist slamming on the on the desk. Do you talk about that at all? We, um, I held this job by myself for a very long time. And then in 2019, got a colleague, convinced the city of health, and, and in part related to other things, add another colleague. And his name is Jeff Creever. And Jeff and I talk all the time about our stats crews, how they perform. Jeff takes the lead with with the crews, does a really nice job of that, and it actually frees me up to do more analytically. But we evaluate the crews every single game on every play, all 15,000 of them every year. And we track those that we have to edit because we do it in real time. So we have this peer review that you talk about. And I love that question because it's the only way to be good in real time is to audit and fix it right away because we have a lot of strange plays in our, our league and our, our game and our rule book are really kind of nuanced, especially when you have two block kicks in the final couple of minutes. And yeah, there's just a lot of stats that flow from that that are perhaps a bit uh, esoteric. The one thing about the Canadian Football League that I love that maybe the NFL could take a cue from is that the rule book is very thin. The NFL book almost, I've argued, could fill an entire New York City phone book with all the stipulations they have in it. And there's a lot of room for interpretation in the Canadian Football League. We don't itemize absolutely everything that happens. That's one of my favorite things. And I'm, our winter meetings are, are in January in Kananaskis. It's in that forum among all our general managers, coaches, and rules committee that we talk about these things. And the one thing I do is exactly what you just said. I go there with specific clauses statistically uh, to say, if this occurs, there will be a sack. If this doesn't, I can't give a sack. And that way, it's clear that, for example, if you snap the ball and it hits a running back when he's going past and the quarterback merely falls on the ball, he really didn't make any play other than to recover it. That's not a sack. We don't have teams calling us to get a sack for that because we put that in the statistical part of the rule book. There's still things I'm learning about the game, every game, that are subtle, but at least our book doesn't fill a room. I've been to New York and spoken with my colleagues at the NFL, and I'd say they got a lot of people because they got a lot of rules. They do. It's I almost look at the NFL rule book as a reaction. It's something that happened on the field that one of the owners or one of the general managers didn't like, and they said, okay, we can't have that anymore. And so there's a, all of these sort of particular reactions to plays that they don't want to have anymore. When they give you a 10-second runoff, I think that's the strangest thing out there. And if a guy falls down in the last two minutes, so what? He's going to go off the field, so they get a few extra seconds to call a play. Whoopee. There's lots of this kind of trying to bend the rules a little bit. For fans listening, watch an NFL game on Sunday. And one of the big differences between our game and their game is, is kick returns. They have very few kick returns because of the fair catch and, and touchback. But they changed. They put in one of the multiple lines in their rule book is, you are not permitted to touch the kick returner who waves off a kickoff. You cannot touch him if you're a special teams cover guy. 
I saw one guy do that the other day, and there's a penalty for it. He didn't get called, which mystified me. But the cover guys, they'll run past that kick returner about six inches away. They want to tell the kick returner, you weren't going anywhere. And it became like a mind game. And so they had to legislate that out. Well, that's preventing whatever it prevents, I suppose. But it's a way of intimidating as well. So I don't like that part of the game very much. I'm with you there. I don't like that. And there was a game, I think it was a week before, where I believe the punter may have been. I'm Correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway, ball was blocked. By rule in the NFL, if it's behind the line of scrimmage, he can pick it up and move it forward. In the CFL, we have kickers going down the field and recovering it if it's 50 yards away. We we have a really fantastic special teams element to our game. And I love that's one of my favorite things to track is what kickers do. I changed a rule about, I think about seven or eight years ago. For us, if a kick is blocked, in other words, a defender touches it and it crossed the line of scrimmage. Even if that was a foot, he did not get credit for a block kick. But he's just saved his team 40, 45 yards of field position, and he wasn't getting anything. And I thought, well, that's wrong. I, I took it to a meeting like Kananaskis. I said, hey, I want to do this. And they all went, well, we think you should. So when they buy in like that, the players love that. The other side was from my dear friend, and I mentioned it because we we just spoke two days ago, Paul McCallum. He he had 30 in a row. And Randy Paradis got to 30 in a row. And the, the 31st was blocked. Yeah. And I couldn't change the rule. I wanted to change it right there to, to charge Calgary and him 0 for 1. I couldn't. I wasn't allowed. Yeah. But I changed it five minutes after the game, in my mind. Oh, that, that hurt. Well, Lewis Ward kind of made that a mute point. <laughs> And that's the good thing. There's always somebody out there trying to beat whatever's there. It's no different than when I got this job. I wanted it was easy because there was no analysis at all. And we didn't have second down conversions or red zone or anything like that. So I made those up as I went along. But you got to kind of check with the the bosses too. Is this okay? And they all went, sounds good to us. (laughs) That's the fun part. I uh, That's why I want to do this job forever. Keep making stuff up. If it makes sense. Absolutely. Now, what was it like last year when we talked, we had literally finished the Grey Cup in the middle of December, and I caught you, I think, the week after. You've had this time at least a few weeks off in December, to, well, if you ever have time off, to kind of look back at 2022. Where is your energy? Where is your prepping for 2023? Are you feeling more refreshed? Yeah, I am personally, because it gives me a chance to catch my breath a little bit. There's no triple header or ongoing games you got to prepare for, but it's all part of what I've been working on for the last eight years, but has now become entrenched in, in our football operations um, set of procedures. We meet every Monday and I talk about what we call the product review, and it brings in our commissioner's business sense with merging with football and putting it into um, this kind of algorithm I produced, it's just a number, but what it does, it takes all the numbers, puts them together and comes up with one and I can graph it. If you take all these metrics, which relate to our game directly, like our teams could bring on second down. What are they gaining on first down three yards or six and a half? How many points there are all those things that go into making our game an attractive product to watch. And so Randy cottoned on to 
to it from his side. And now he, he's writing to me on Sunday after it's over to say, how did we do this week? And I think it's given him some really good objective evidence about where our game stands. So in the off season, I'm kind of refining that and looking at also the thing that really generates those results. And that is what our players produce on the field. And I come up with this key number, which I think you'll like. I haven't presented it yet, but you can hear about it first. One of the things that we struggle with is the NFL can take our best players. They may take Nathan Rourke. I don't know. I'm not privy to those sorts of things, but say they so they do. They took Brandon Zilstra a few years ago. He was a pretty good player. Um, Adam Big Hill is to what extent do we retain our players, our say 120 best guys every year? How many of them come back? I found the evidence why 2022 was such a strong bounce back, why our game was so much better in 2022 than it was the year before. And the year before, only two out of every three of our very best players came back to us. 68% returned to our league. Well, that's you know that's a lot of starting over. Last year, 90% of the best players in 2021 were in 2022, not hurt. And I exclude them if they if they are on a roster but don't play, if they're injured for the year. Like say there's a young guy in Toronto, Peter Nicastro. He's an offensive lineman. Terrific player. Played one season but got hurt. We need those guys back every year. And last year was the highest number I've seen, 90%. I couldn't believe it. And so that means the kind of graph of your results tracks the graph of, it correlates to keeping your talent. I think that, above all, is a really good indicator that that's why 22 was as good as it was. And, and so if you can relate it to real things, our GMs and coaches you know, look at you as you're some sort of genius, but I'm ending with that. I just say, look, hey, this is what happened. And I think that appeals to very practical people like football coaches. Statistics tell stories. You can dive as much as you want into metrics, but ultimately you're going to come back with a story. Yes. Uh, I always preface my remarks. Uh, like I mentioned to you in our previous conversations that these are not uh, necessarily just statistics. They are. Of course they are. But they're results. They're what the players and coaches create for us on the field with their coaching and their practice and all the things they do. And it just results in like, I've got some, some numbers beside me that I track. Like if you look at touchdown drive production, that has to happen based on execution. And we had 25% more touchdown drives last year than the year before. Well, it has to happen from somewhere and it, you know, it just happened by itself or, Sacks per game were down by about what, three or four percent, five percent. Our big plays, what we call long gainers, the the thirty yard gains and the things like that, they were up a few percent. There's all these numbers that that we really are after, and I think Randy's favorite number is the number of two and outs. Two and outs are death. Two plays and a punt. I watched one CFL game a few years ago. Of course, I watched them all. There were twenty one two and outs, and I thought. Where'd our game go that day? This year, we had a game between Calgary and Winnipeg where there was one, one to an out. That's a better game to watch. And so that's part of the tracking is the, the effect. And, and that's the effect of good coaching and players. 
you mentioned uh, sacks were down, but if there was one stat that I remember coming out through the information that you provided, a quarterback sack was almost death to a touchdown drive. Yeah, I, I tracked that number two. And I think we went 27 games in a row without a drive resulting in a touchdown with a sack on it. And so that number in 2022 was two and a half percent when it and there aren't any sacks, that number goes up to almost 20%. So it's 10 times more likely. I love that kind of thing. And, you know, coaches may not, that's just obvious. Well, maybe, but don't give up a sack. The very best teams, Winnipeg and Calgary, with their few sacks allowed, it correlates to winning quite closely. Penalties don't oddly. It's always mystified me. The, the winning team in a game, I can track. What I do is I take the, the numbers. I split them. Here's all the numbers of the winning teams, losing teams. So you can see the difference. And of course, the number one is turnover. That's the biggest determinant. But penalties don't seem to be. It's when and where they are. Defensive penalties are death. Offensive penalties don't seem to make that much difference. I don't know why. But our penalties were down too. That's another thing we track. They were down five or 6%. But the key is this. They, they dropped less than half a penalty per game, but there were more penalties called on defenses. In other words, far less on offenses and special teams, and that opens the game up. You don't want a bunch of long gainers killed. You, you don't want to see that. So th- those are the things inside the numbers. If you break them apart, you can see what's going on. And that's what I try to do. The players, the rosters, what, what stories can you draw from them? The reason that question is so great is because you get this look at, we've got, I think, 675 different guys. And the difference between, say, 2021 and 2022, in 2021, of all the starts made in the CFL, 25% of them were by guys in their first year in the CFL. So in other words, you can take the roster and break it down by experience, by nationality, 25%. Last year, only 12%. So now you've got a bunch of experienced players on the field. And our rosters, we have a lot, we have a fair amount of turnover, right? When you look at the profile of our rosters, and, and, and at the end of the year, the average CFL guy had an ex, what feels like an extraordinarily small number of career games played, 42 and a half or 42 or three. But, you know, that's up from 2021 when it was down in the mid 30s. It's nice that here's a basically on average, every guy's got an extra half season in them. And that's not bad. That helps a lot because then that player's former coach been through the, the experience of working with our, co- our coaches. In all the experience I've ever had, I've been in pro- professional sports since 1994. There's this thing. I didn't play basketball beyond trying out at UBC. I didn't play football beyond uh a short time in junior football. So I'm not a football guy. I wasn't a basketball guy. But eventually, if, if you can show enough understanding and speak their language, then someone will come along someday and says, you're okay. You're one of us because you speak our language. And so to spout a whole bunch of numbers to these guys doesn't work. What does work is you can understand what they do. And then they'll understand what I do and try to help them. 
There's nothing more gratifying than getting a, it happened four times this year, four separate clubs. We'll phone up and say, hey, can we talk about our numbers? And that feels really good. You know, a head coach will phone you on Sunday and say, well, what'd you think? Me? I'm not anyone. Okay. Uh, and I don't know what, tell us, tell me what's going on. What can I do different? <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> you're the coach, not me, but it's just if, to be able to construct something that they can use. That's the gist of this job. And for the commissioner as well. And that's what product review is. It's knowing yourself, in my opinion. Knowing yourself and, and your place and also what you can provide. Yeah, and, and knowing when to leave the room. And, and knowing when to just step back a little bit and say, well, okay, this is what I see. And I've had coaches tell me, this isn't helpful at all. Or you're full of it. And I say, could be. I know, you don't know what you're talking about. In this instance, I don't doubt it. But help me to understand that. That has helped on a number of occasions, except with one statistic, which I regret ever doing, that we'll never do again. Because based on the reaction I got, we tried to put in quarterback pressures. And there's nothing more subjective in this statistical world than quarterback pressures. You have to touch the guy. You have to make a move out of the pocket. Did he do something that he wouldn't have done otherwise? There's about 19 different definitions. And that was the message I got from all the coaches. This is not helping. So we stopped. If you watch an NFL game and they'll tell you you had 23 quarterback pressures, my automatic question is, well, how was that? How do you evaluate that? It's like in the in, in NFL, they have half tackles and half sacks and all that kind of stuff. And, and some of that makes sense. But, you know, in our game, we don't. We have a statistically different way of doing it. We just pick a guy. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard on the players because people can combine on tackles. So they'll question that at times. And that's always fun, too, when the players call or write or email or they'll send me a, a video or a picture. There was one that was particularly good this year. I loved it. The guy sent me a picture of him forcing a fumble for which he did not get credit. Well, the thing was, he, he chose a picture that made it look like he did until he shifted your angle slightly. And the quarterback had already fumbled the ball. So I said, hey, here's my picture. <laughs> Bit of give and take. I'm guessing that tackling is probably the hardest thing, especially when a running back goes into the line and you've got four defensive linemen and maybe a linebacker on him. We call it the, the, the quarterback sneak problem or what I call the Adam Big Hill problem. Adam is really good. If you'll watch a Winnipeg Blue Arms game, at diving over the top and touching the quarterback. Well, I won't have any of that. I go for the guy who blocks, who's in the middle, the bigger guy, generally, who says, you're not going any farther than this. I don't care who jumps over the top and touches you. I am Derek, Derek Wigan, or I am Pete Robertson, or I, I'm the guy there, Almondo Sewell. <laughs> no farther. I like that. Tackles are really hard, especially in quarterback sneaks. 
Do you have more cameras than what maybe TSN provides? Do you have more ways to look at the game? Oh, yes. If you, we have a, a video system with a company that I guess within three hours at the end of the game, it's got the TSN feed. It's got a feed from something called All24. It's got all sorts of different angles. There's also integrated the uh, video coordinators, camera shots from the roof of the stadium or from high locations. And so you get four or five angles of every play. And so you can look at a replay. So the plays are all organized. So I can just go straight to a play. And if you ask me to look at this play within less than a minute, I can watch that play and from multiple angles and make a decision on, because we all will always get questions on sacks. And I take those very seriously because a lot of those players are being compensated for those kinds of things. And, you know, tackles are the hardest statistic by far. The odd time we'll get the guy's number wrong, but that's why we audit the game. Jeff and I audit the games live to make sure it started that idea started in Vancouver in the very first season I was in the CFL, 2005, where the stats group gave a reception in the Grey Cup to Ben Cahoon. Well, you know, Ben's not the tallest man in the world. And the guy that caught the ball is Dave Stalla. And Dave is, what, six foot five or six? Big guy. Well, I announced, I was the PA announcer in the Grey Cup in 05. And I said, catch by Dave Stalla. I watched it on TV and on the field and the stats crew person turned around and said some things that I can't repeat at me. And even a reporter came down and said, Steve, it's not Cahoon. It's Stala. And I said, I know, but I'm not in a position to change that because he's the statistician for the game. He wasn't at, after the season ended. And uh, I changed the play as soon as I got the job to get, the credit to the correct player, which is what you want. Is there a lot of turnover within stats crews or are crews been together for a long time? We just had an entire stats crew dissolve last week. We're working with a, an outfit called Genius Sports and they're, they're producing, helping us to produce a new stat system. Don't really know much. I haven't seen much in the way of design, but we're getting there. The stat system we have right now is really a good one, and it's stable. So now that we're going to change, it's kind of like a, I don't know, a cause. We say, okay, well, I'm going to retire. Might as well retire now when we're going to change systems. And so this one particular stats crew, uh, four of the people who are great people, really know the game and the rules and the rule book, and they know how the system, and you know they can enter the data and stay with us in real time, all retired at the same moment. How the heck are we going to replace that? There is some turnover, but thankfully not very much. I've only had to make a couple of changes that I thought were necessary in two cities along the way. But we had one horrific crew, and I'll say their name because of what they've done. Ottawa people, the Ottawa crew, once the Red Blacks came along, really struggled to start with. But it was not for lack of of effort or, or caring. They just didn't have the skill set and the attention span. And now they do. And 
again, it's a good news story. It's to their credit. They stuck with it, and we stuck with them. And now they're they're as good as anybody, which is great because they really care, and I admire them. There's a couple people that were doing things that I didn't admire. Like they were a little, I wouldn't say biased, but they, they, they didn't have quite the dispassion view of every play that we were wanting. That's the way it goes sometimes, but I'm hopeful that we can come up with a new crew in, in this city. So we'll see. Vancouver, we have a very small crew. It's just me and, and a couple of other people that are, these other two people are really good. The three of us can do a game on our own. Other crews need six or seven. But, you know, when you deal with it every single day, you kind of know what what to look for. But that's what fascinates me about it. And it's so fun. And I'm not the youngest guy in the world anymore. It's still relevant. And that's a thrill for me to still have a way to contribute and to be going to our winter meetings and be part of football operations on Monday and sitting there explaining to some really wise people about the game who know the game so well. And they're asking what's going on with our game. And the way to do that is metrics combined with their insight and always a mix of people who have played the game and people that know how to watch the game. And I think that's the, that's where the niche is for statisticians to reside now. And I'm teaching Jeff and Jeff's got insight of his own, which is hugely valuable and he's added a lot. So it's nice to have two of us to talk over things. Jeff's going to be on our next podcast. Jeff? Yes. Jeff has done a marvelous job of picking up knowledge of it. He brings his own perspective and we debate things together, but ultimately we're in charge of it together. From my side of things, uh, we get along really well, and I think we're better off because there's two heads. I'm glad Jeff's going on. That's wonderful to hear. The winter meetings. Canon ask us, what is going to happen at the winter meetings? What What is your role? What the team's going to do? What's the commissioner want to do with these meetings? Number one thing we generally have there is the rules committee will meet. And last year was big because we were making changes to no yards, to uh, the point at which kickoffs are made, the point where you start after a field goal is made. All these things were designed to improve the game, to make it more amenable to offense. This year, my suspicion is there's a lot less of that. We did a lot last year. We like to let the game rest a bit. So there'll be some of that. It's a good opportunity for us to put forward our clarifications in the statistical part of the rule to say, this is a sack. This isn't This is how we would interpret a play like this. This is a block kick. This isn't. And then that's the kind of rule side of it. And so they'll ask questions. What happens if? So they asked me last year specifically, if we move the kickoff from here back, what is the likelihood of there being more points? And I said, very high. I said, that's probably not the question that you, not the answer you're after, is it? They said, no. I said, you want to know how much, right? And my answer was, well, I don't really know, but here's what I expect based on if you start a drive at the 20-yard line, your percentage probability of scoring a touchdown is probably 8 or 9%. But if you started at the 45-yard line, that 8 or 9% is now 20%. And naturally, that was going to produce more touchdown drives. Only takes a first down or two to get into field goal range. 
So all those things are part of these discussions. The other side of it is this, what we call product review, where we take, it's a, a report that I do with graphs and charts and all sorts of things. It's a, it's a merger. It's a, you combine a whole, a whole array, about 12 of them, of really key numbers that relate to what goes on in the field. Second down conversions. If you gain three yards on first down regularly, you'll be 0-18, I guarantee you. But if you gain six or seven yards, say seven yards on first down, you're going to be a very good team. So you take something that's ideal, something that's not, out of that, come up with this kind of assessment of our product. Uh, an example is sacks per game. You don't want a lot of those. The odd one is, again, one of my favorite things to analyze is turnovers. A game without turnovers is a really poor football game. And yet a turnover is a mistake. It's turnovers that change the field position rapidly that allow for more scoring opportunities. So a game with only two turnovers in it, it's probably not going to be a very fabulous game. You know, certainly you don't want interceptions and mistakes by teams, but it's those mistakes that turn into points for the other team. So turnovers isn't, we track them, of course, but but things like uh, two and outs, nobody wants to watch those. You know, there's nothing worse than that. I watched an NFL game where I watched six, was it seven in a row, three and outs. Three and outs are hard. <laughs> That's hard to do. So all those things, combine them, and then I'll be presenting these results in depth to the general managers, coaches, and presidents on a Tuesday night in Kananaskis. Uh, Alongside my my boss, Greg Dick, he uh, he's in charge of football operations for the CFL, and I work directly for him. And I work with Jeff to produce the data. Excited beyond measure because we missed out with the pandemic, things like that. So this is our first really full go around at it. That's that's exciting exciting for me now to be able to say, look, hey, this is the state of our game in detail. Randy talks about that on Fridays at Grey Cup. This is the state of our game. And I think he even mentioned the work that I'd been doing to the media. I thought, wow, this has taken hold. It's taken a long time. But it's my belief that it's worth it to know yourself. Our GMs, they love it, I think. They eat it up and ask questions and offer feedback and say, what do you think about this? And, and then there is the one other side, which is what are the things that make our games exciting? The percentage of them that go right down to the, the final three minutes before being decided, one possession games, um, comebacks, all that. Paint that all into one picture, and then I'll paint it for the folks that run our teams in Kananaskis. It must be a relief after not knowing in 2020 when you'd be back on the field that 2022 – all 18, all the playoffs went off. Yeah. It, I just wanted to get a season in and not have it interrupted and have us play all 95 games. And it was so gratifying. And and on Mondays, we've got this meeting of about 15 or 16 of us in football ops in the CFL. Every one of us has a different type of job. And every one of us brings their insight to make it work. Like, a guy like Ryan Jansen, for example, or uh, Eric Neubel, 
people like that within our organization that really know what they're doing. And they deal with discipline or they might deal with rosters or things like that. And they, they trust Jeff and I. And I think when they trust you with the data, that's what makes me want to still be part of the CFL because I felt if I felt that it wasn't worth it, then you know, time to go do something else, I suppose. That and the Memphis Grizzlies are in first place in the West Western Conference of the N- N- NBA. One of your previous employers. <laughs> yeah, I worked for the Grizzlies for 10 years and we weren't in first place very often. <laughs> Put it that way. There are ups and downs in this business, as you well know, Donna. You got to take the ups, like right now with our CFL game, for what they're worth. Thank you so much for joining us again. This is always so much fun to talk to you. I love it. I just You bring out what matters with your questions. And I think, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. I really appreciate you making the time. And hey, happy holidays. And I, I, the same for you. I really enjoy your show. It's so insightful. It gives us a chance to just kind of arrive at some of these conclusions and talk about things that, you know, and they're not all goodness. They're not all badness. It's just a mix like anything. And uh, we're going to keep trying to make our product a good one. And I love talking about it with you. Thank you so much, Steve Daniel. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.